Vampirism is everywhere. It is hiding in our hearts, Sam. It is at the bottom of a bottle or a needle in the arm. It is 500 channels of insipid cultural dribble, the advertising and gluttony, draining us of our ability to think it is the insidious Faustian bargains we make every day. The little compromises that eat at our soul, but believe me, it is not to be found embodied in Anna. She's not that deep. Welcome to episode 32. That's exciting. Wow. Yeah, we're still going strong. Um, I've been looking at the analytics a lot mm-hmm. uh, as of late, and it's pretty cool to see that with each new episode, we're getting more and more downloads right off the bat. That rules. Yeah, so we're slowly but surely creeping our way up, which, is, which is great. Um, you pointed out not too long ago that uh, we, we now have some ratings on like the, iP- the podcast app. Yeah, and stuff like the, that. The one that goes through iTunes, at least. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think it said we had like three whole ratings or something, Woo! which was enough to show up. Yeah, that's something. <laughs> As opposed to saying none whatsoever. Yeah, because when I would look on the iTunes store, it'd be like, "There's not enough ratings yet." Mm-hmm, exactly. Yeah, well, we got a couple. Cool, cool. Well, we're back again with our usual bullshit with another episode for you this week. Uh, what are we talking? Vampires. No, this is the up to articulate the question, the giant question mark at the yeah, end. Yeah, the, the intonation word. is is very good there. We're talking vampires with the shrug of the shoulders and the hands. Like, <laughs> what are you talking about? Exactly. Uh, we figured there's such a rich vein of vampire movies out there, and you know, just as like a classic horror thing, and we haven't really hit too many of the classics, sort of staple subgenres or characters or movements. So, we're jumping on that, but we can't just whole hog it. We gotta, we gotta kind of do our weirdness and go in with uh, riding it on our bullshit. Yeah, yeah. So we decided to look at things where they're vampire movies, but w- what defines a vampire, or whether they are delusional about it or not, is part of the plot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is, is it? Are we watching a vampire, or are we just watching somebody? have a psychotic episode Mm -hmm. in which vampirism happens to be involved in their distortion of reality yeah it's kind of like lycanthropy like in Mm -hmm. the uh horror movie sense or in the real world sense of like the delusion of Mm -hmm. one being a werewolf and yeah yeah but in this case either one being a vampire or uh somebody who's coming to someone's life being a vampire yeah perhaps in some cases turning the main character into a vampire right so they come to believe like i realize that's fairly common in a lot of vampire stories but the bulk of these movies sort of fit that uh mode of like someone coming into the life like the mysterious stranger Mm -hmm. and turning someone yeah usually when they least expect it 
in often in some kind of violent way against their will. Yeah. Then it comes off as this sort of like stranger danger sudden assault. Yeah, yeah. And it's interesting because it's not always in the form of assault. Like, I mean, it is, but I mean, like, it, it, like, one of the, well, I guess let's just get into the movies and Mm -hmm. we'll, you'll see what we mean. Uh, we started with something that was absolutely wild. Something just totally wonderful and bizarre. Uh, we watched 1988's Vampire's Kiss. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, you hadn't seen this before. No. What did you think of this? It was great. (laughs) (laughs) I know that the meme of his face with the arched eyebrows, like, you recognized when the scene came up, you're like, I think I've seen a meme of this. Yeah, I've seen this meme, like, back in high school. (laughs) Definitely. It's the uh, part where he's just um, talking about the horrible job he's given Elva. He's like, it's a horrible job, Elva, and you have to do it. His eyebrows are, like, raising further and further up his forehead until he can float away. His widow's peak and his eyebrows will become one. Yeah, and just, uh ascend to the heavens yeah really actually speaking of uh widow's peak and eyebrows and all that kind of stuff there is a storied history of hair in like horror movies like i'm thinking like or uh, vampire movies i think like bram stoker's dracula where he has that totally weird ass bouffant thing going on <laughs> uh, but like the comb bag thing and like you kept talking about how his hair looked like it was just had a mind of its own in this movie Oh, I don't remember that. Oh, it's because he brushes it back, but then it gets unhinged and it looks like an eagle taking off from his head. <laughs> like, it's like... Oh, just mean, like, I don't remember making that comment, but we, we, I was seeing a lot of shit when that movie was on, yeah. so I'm not going to remember all of it. But yeah, that, that one was a treat. Yeah, yeah. Um, so what have we got here? What's the plot of this one? I was going to call him a Wall Street guy, but he's... He's not, like, in banking and accounting and that kind of stuff. He's a book publisher? Yeah, he's in literature. Yeah. He's a literary... Yeah. A- I don't know if he's a literary agent or... He just works, like, big wig publishing yeah. house guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He fucking acts like a Wall Street banker. Like, yes, I, I remembered him as a Wall Street guy. Yeah. Uh, and then when I saw it, I'm like, oh, he's not a money man. Technically. He still seems like a money man, but not, not in the classical he sense. He comports his, himself like yeah. one. And I'm sure he's, he deals with large amounts of capital yeah deals with contracts and all that kind mm-hmm. of stuff revenue generating but anyway he's uh visited he's visited one night by a bat when he's brought a woman home and this bat right. kind of like ruins everything <laughs> oh god i love when he's talking to a psych the next day about mm-hmm. the bat oh god that's funny where he's like, yeah, like, it was kind of turned on. He's like, the bat came in and I was aroused. <laughs> she's like, well, yeah, you were about to, like, get down. He's like, it was the bat. Yeah. It's a fucking <laughs> weird voice he does. Um, yeah. What, what, how did you describe it? It was like, like, Stefan, like, Phil Hader on SNL, <laughs> but, like, straight. Yeah. And It's like no the, the straight Chadley version of Stefan. Yeah. And, but without that, like, sort of, like, level of at least some kind of awareness where mm-hmm. he's in on the joke. It's like, no, this guy's oblivious yeah. to that. Um, but soon after, he, the uh, who he assumes to be the bat, uh, young Jennifer Beale shows yeah, up yeah. In, his, so. in his room 
and she's a vampire. Oh my god, I was about to say Bette Porter just I, rocks I know, up, I'm just like, I'm but then I Bette almost Porter said Bette Midler comes in, it's like, nope, <laughs> wrong <laughs> Bette. <laughs> no, Bette um, Porter. Bette, Bette Porter, before she realized she's gay, mm-hmm. um, which she alludes to in the show, so this could be her origin story. I like Quite to think possibly. Vampire's Kiss is a... Uh, Bette Porter reinvented, like, moved, fucked out of New York, moved to LA, reinvented herself. I love it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The, okay, the, it's canon. It's canon now. Yeah, that's how it works. Um, and they they fuck around and stuff. And yeah. She bites him. Yes, she bites him. And uh, yeah, he's going through life. That's just like, oh, I got this like vampire lady visiting me. Gonna, mm-hmm. And just just getting weirder and weirder. <laughs> yeah, he gets weirder and weirder. Now, when um he sees, uh, I keep wanting to just call her Bet. I don't remember her name in this movie. When he sees Bette, um, she's got, like, the more classic vampire, like, the fangs, and, uh, like, both in... Sexy lingerie. In his fantasies of her, and, like, the weird dream sequences that goes on, she's doing that sort of, like, you know, vampy vamp vamp kind of thing. Um, but then he doesn't follow suit in that he doesn't sprout the fangs or anything like that. He ends Mm -hmm. up having to buy plastic dollar store fangs, (laughs) and, uh, you know, he just has an aversion to light so he's always got the sunglasses on he uh makes a coffin out of an overturned couch and it's just like he's doing all the vampire tropes but even though she is represented as like the classic vampire Mm -hmm. he's not no at all and like deliberately so like yes no he's convinced he's like well yeah i'm a a vampire now (laughs) so uh gotta do what i gotta do Mm -hmm. and he's just like the best like bastardization of the vampire. Yeah, uh, definitely. And his um, vampirism, as it grows, it takes the form almost of a mental breakdown that parallels his, like, work-related mm-hmm. mental breakdown. Like, it seems like the stresses of his job are just, like, he's warped his mind with his self-importance and mm-hmm. um, all that kind of stuff. And he's taking it out on Alva, the impl- assistant under the him. Secretary. Yeah. Uh, but he just... It's almost like the vampire thing is this excuse mm-hmm. for him to engage in all this horrible stuff. And it's like, oh, it's not me. It's the vampire. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, we see this culminate when he's out at, it's like some, some fancy, like, club or... Yeah, he's at that club, yeah. Yeah, that where people are eating and stuff, and he... Doesn't he, like, run into bet? He does, and, and and she's normal. She's normal, yeah, and and, yeah. and he's like yelling at you, you're like you don't know what she is. Yeah, she and she's just like holy shit, like what's going on here? So you get the sense that it's like she has no idea who he is. Yeah, it's almost that thing. It's like did he just see her and fantasize about her mm. entirely? Like, like I assumed it was a, a hookup that he derangedly right. took or as a vampire like, thing, but it's woman, almost like, like, have they ever met? Yeah, yeah. Or <laughs> ha- has it? Ha- has their encounter been so significant that she would remember it as anything other than maybe somebody she saw in passing? Yeah, it's like he's doing like, 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 like a he's stalker probably, thing. Yeah, yeah, like he probably took it as like, oh yeah, she was totally sending me signals, man. And she was yeah. just like, I was just like out for a walk to get mm. coffee. Yeah. And this creep interpreted that as as i was doing this all for him yeah totally and his attention but like he gives off these almost stalker vibes but where like they start like uh venerating someone and like raising them up in their mm-hmm. mind but in his twisted mind it's uh that means she's a vampire yeah yeah, yeah. and turns him sort of yeah 
<laughs> and uh, all of this is fucking fantastic because the movie is not ambiguous with whether or not he's a vampire kind mm-hmm. of thing. Like, is it, It's still pretty ambiguous about whether or not she is, because for all mm-hmm. we know, she's just covering. Yeah. But, I mean, herself. even if he is a vampire in the form of this movie, yeah. his vampirism takes the the form of, like, someone who's lost his marbles and is exactly. just, he's roving the street, yelling at people, trying to get strangers to stake him, and uh, <laughs> he doesn't have fangs, but he wants to drink blood, and... And does. Does, yeah. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, it's, there's a really great sequence of him, like, he's running through the street, like, I'm a vampire, somebody stake me with this, and, yeah. and everyone's like, what the fuck, and then he's suddenly got, you know, fit into his psychiatrist's office for an appointment. Yeah. And then we get flashes of reality where he's just, like, having a conversation with himself on the street. Yeah. About it. Yeah, like, it's pretty blatant that he's imagining so much of this. And, Mm -hmm. yeah. And that, yeah, it's just this this elaborate fantasy of grandeur and Mm self-elevation beyond just, like, I'm a fucking asshole misogynist who's, like, going around and treating all the women in my life like shit mm-hmm. raping one of them mm-hmm. and in that and scene like, with the the uh imagined psych thing mm-hmm. he even brings that up as like some flippant oh yeah he's like, he's like oh, oh and I- by the way i raped someone in my office and she's like oh that's fine like yeah that's how you know he's like okay this isn't a real yeah he's like brushing his own guilt off or if she was real at one point this appointment yes, isn't real yes, yeah exactly um but it's just like, it's like oopsie daisy oh yeah i guess i raped her Mm, well, she's just like these things on. happen these kind do, of thing don't they? apparently yeah frequently actually yeah but despite the turn this conversation took this movie's actually quite light it is, but it's, it's dark and twisted hilarious. in how it yes. goes about that like it's a comedy through and through but but a very dark one yeah yes. yeah uh but what does this say about vampires like i think going for me going off of the whole He's imagining himself as a vampire and it's able to like, it's fulfilling almost like this power fantasy for him mm-hmm. where it's liberating him and able to, to do that. And that's sort of like the sexy appeal of the vampire, isn't it? Like if you're going back to old literature yeah, like, and stuff like they're that. They're outlaws, really. Yeah, I'm not talking like the sex appeal of Nosferatu no. because, you know, <laughs> hey, whatever you're into, but. Yes, but no, I think it's that, um, cause they're an outlaw, but without having to be a criminal in the, at least not in that. It's in a more ambiguous way because obviously, like assaulting somebody and drinking their blood and or yeah. killing them, is criminal. But it's yeah, it's that outlaw appeal without actually having done something to be outlawed. It's the kind of thing where sense. their criminality is part of their survival and part of yeah, their, and, um, and it's it's dark and sexy and it's part of the appeal. Yeah. and it's yeah, it's not it's it's not associated with the, the criminal element. It's elevated. Mm-hmm. It's classier. Yes. There we go back to that. Like you know, oh, it's 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 classy when. Rich people, Rich do, people it. do it. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I think this movie's kind of taking that sort of romanticization of the vampire and showing someone totally breaking down through the lens of that. Mm-hmm. Like, it's, uh, they have this, this idea of vampirism and they're trying to live it. And it's showing how it's just, how untenable serious, it is. Bro? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and he also has such a high idea of himself that he's like, mm-hmm. well, of course, this is perfect for me. It's the, my natural progression into transcending this mortal coil. Like, I could see him calling himself Count of, like, oh, the... Totally. of Of that particular New York area kind of thing. The Count of Wall Street. 
the Count of the Brownstones. That vampires and werewolves are enemies, then the Count versus the Wolf of Wall Street. Oh, man. Okay. But it would specifically be, like, the... The Wolf of Wall Street, like in the movie, so just yeah, yeah, human no, guy no, against I, this psychotic against vampire. Nick Cage. Yeah, yeah. I, I like this idea. Oh, did we not mention it's Nick Cage losing his shit? Yes, yeah, yeah. It, is, it is. It is full Cage rage. Yeah, because I, I, we must have mentioned it, but if we actually didn't, because now I'm thinking back, I'm like, I don't know if we did. I don't know if you name dropped It's him, yeah. Nick Cage as the vampire, yes. and that's so much of what makes this movie so fucking great and works so well <laughs> yeah yeah like this is the early cage rage kind of thing mm-hmm. i'm pretty sure he said in a very recent interview talking like the last year or so that this is his still like his favorite thing he's done <laughs> and I, I get why it's yeah. just he's just being unhinged and doing whatever the hell he wants yeah, jumping on tables and smashing furniture i know that on like the dvd extras he described it as like yeah i just took like a punk rock approach to this where i was like i'm just gonna do what i think fits and go with it and be totally out out there with it like like, outlaw cinema (laughs) kind of thing and uh i'd say it works Mm -hmm. at the very least it's a very dadaist performance yes yeah it's a thing of beauty yeah so um if you couldn't tell vampire's kiss gets uh you know raging thumbs up from both of us Mm -hmm. so go see it see it see it see it all right next up we watched a sort of cult classic one of those ones that is so hard to come by nowadays that i feel glad that i bought it when i Mm -hmm. did Uh, we watched george a romero's martin from 1977 and this whole week was first time watches for you wasn't it yeah actually it was yeah okay okay so i don't need to to ask but uh what, what did you think of this one this one was a lot more ambiguous i wasn't like i didn't not enjoy it but i wasn't sure what to make of it i think I that's guess. fair yeah yeah um like yeah i didn't dislike it or anything but i'm just like i'm not quite sure what i'm mm-hmm. i guess i haven't ha- haven't actively like sat there digesting it much since watching it because yeah we, you know, kind of jumped right into the other ones so. yeah so mm slice of sort of like 70s weirdness with that Mm -hmm. sort of existential bent to it that you got out of the sort of darker movies of the 70s the one that had that sort of nihilistic tone Mm -hmm. um what we've got here is the uh title character martin is this uh young dude who is going to detroit he's in pittsburgh for sure Mm -hmm. um and he's going to live with his uh, grandpa, oh, okay. I think. Maybe his uncle, but some dude some kind of, he's some, related some, to. Uh, paternal yeah. figure. And a cousin of his, I believe. Yeah, that sounds um, right. Which I think is maybe... Yeah, may, maybe it is... Because it sounded like the, this, this, the, the, the paternal family figure has a more direct relationship with this cousin. Mm, okay, okay. So he's like... I mean, it could be a great uncle or something yeah. like that. And um, this is, or then this is like his granddaughter. Because there is a significant age difference. Like the guy yes. is fairly old, whereas uh, Martin is a young man, kind mm-hmm. of thing. Um, but he's coming to live with uh, this guy, and the person immediately says that his goal is to bless him in the eyes of the Lord. To bless and, Martin. To bless Martin, and then destroy him because he believes Martin is a vampire. And keeps calling him Nosferatu. Yeah, calls him Nosferatu constantly, even though Martin is a sort of, like, almost, like, beatnik, turtleneck-wearing dude. Yeah. Um, 
Dude is a weirdo. But the, we'll the, that's that. just it, though, is because right at the start, he's on the train to, to go, mm-hmm. and he doses this woman with, like, a, injects her with something to knock her out, and then slits her wrists with a razor and drinks her blood. And I'm pretty sure he, like, fucks her body, too. Does he? I, I, I guess I thought, I thought it was, what he was talking about, he's like, I can't do it with anyone who's awake. Okay. Okay. And yeah, because he does on the radio show later. He yeah, talks and so it's like he's, some he's, weird... a, he's a like weird little rapist man. Yeah. Who also like yeah drinks blood. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Of incapacitated women, and so I'm like, okay, what is he shooting them up, them up with? Because wouldn't he be real drowsy after he drinks yeah their drinking blood? their blood and all that? You would think. But I mean that fact that he does because I don't remember there being explicit it's not sexual ex- assault explicit, but I mean it, yeah but, but they are like they he, talk he about takes it. off their clothes yeah. and then he like lays naked with them in the bed but so but that's what I mean is like it's not necessarily explicit but it shows how much the whole vampiric myth is basically a giant sexual assault myth like it's yeah. I don't mean myth in like a gross way that people use that in terms of sexual assault but I mean it's like mythologizing the assaulter as the mm-hmm. dark other kind of because yeah, I mean, he's, he's really just bringing you into a new extravagant world that's yeah. a rite of passage, not an assault. Well, I mean, look at it, Dracula. He has his mesmer stare, so he can hypnotize you to do his will. Mm-hmm. He feeds on on uh, pretty nubile women, kind mm-hmm. of thing. And so does this guy. It's well, it's like the vampire is just like the folklore rapist, kind of thing. Well, yeah, when you put it that way. <laughs> yeah, like, that's how I've always seen it, mm-hmm. and I, I'm not the only person to make this oh, claim. Oh, I, yeah. I have no doubt, yeah. Yeah, um, but it is one of those things where it's such a strong allegory for that without mm-hmm. trying... To, like, beat around the bush. It, it's it, like, like trying to have its cake and eat its too, where it's yeah. like it's doing this but doesn't want to be implicit mm-hmm. in that. Um, and so in Martin, where there's ambiguity as to whether he's a vampire and to what extent he is committing sexual assault, it kind of brings that into the real world where it mm-hmm. takes that ambiguous uh, mythology and then shows, here's a guy who acts on those kind of things. Uh, he does not think of himself as a vampire. I mean, but, every time the like, uncle calls him an Osirato, he's like, what the fuck? No, I'm not. Like, yeah. What is this crazy guy doing? It's like... But he's the one engaging in all these vampiric behaviors. Mm, and exactly. um, and so the uncle's like, oh, I know. I know what you're doing. It's almost like a flip on the Nick Cage character from yeah. Vampire's Kiss. Uh, whereas in this one, he's not turned. Like, we don't see uh, an origin where some shadowy, mysterious stranger gets him like the Bette Porter character does yeah, no, it's, in Vampire's Kiss. Yeah, I know, it's more like an inborn... He, he, he arrives, and this is who he is when mm-hmm. he gets to he town. He is the mysterious stranger, but yeah. he's the protagonist. Or not protagonist, yeah. but like the, he's the central character at the same time. Yeah. He's like an anti-hero without the heroic element to yeah. it kind of thing. He's just Byronic. He's not a Byronic hero. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Big Byron energy. Hmm. But basically, the movie is just sort of him going about his days in this way, where he's got the paternal figure accusing him of vampirism he denies it he tries to build a friendship with his cousin um and he's just sort of alienated and isolated from everyone and Mm -hmm. he just goes on these vampire attacks kind of thing and that's largely the movie but it doesn't really feel like it's one that just meanders and doesn't Mm -hmm. really have a point either like it actually has or at least i felt like it has a point kind of thing it does have some coherence um and stuff to it at least yeah so um when I say that, like, that's 
what the plot essentially is or the action of the movie is. I don't mean that in like mm-hmm. a to make it sound like it's not fleshed out or anything. Right. Um, but he gets talking to this late night call in radio host about being about engaging in vampirism and all that stuff. And mm-hmm. they call him the count and all that stuff. And they love it for ratings. And he keeps calling back. And it's like almost like this notoriety of his serial killer tendencies is pumping him up in a way. Like, yeah, it's that. And, and it also, it, it acts as a slight confessional. Like this is the radio host is sort of like his version of Nick Cage's psychiatrist. I right. Think, totally. Where he gets to, Um, he gets to clear his conscience, I guess, to yeah. an extent, while to somebody who is feeding into it and being like, oh, mm-hmm. yeah, this, like, this totally sounds real, man. Mm-hmm. Like, you can tell the host is like, sure, buddy. But he's like, oh, please keep telling me more because... Yeah, he's blowing smoke because yeah. he wants him to keep exactly. talking. Like, whether he's believes him or not is like yeah. irrelevant he's like hey this will this will get us listeners yeah, he's like, so please tell me more yeah. oh how does that make you feel like mm-hmm. it gives him somebody who's actually willing to listen even if it's for his own purposes and mean, right. as a means to an end for himself um but yeah it's a sort of it comes across as this like confessional thing where mm-hmm. he, and he's doing it over the phone the entire time so he doesn't have to actually encounter another person or at least not another full like, you know, he's yeah. not face-to-face with another human being. He retains that anonymity. Yeah, and um, he's also not face-to-face with all the people that are listening in. Yeah. I guess that makes it, like, a weird voyeuristic version of, like, a church confessional because, you yeah. know, how they have the screen and it's yeah. supposed to be anonymous. And then he's listening he's to that. the radio as it's airing, so it's almost like he's, like, being a voyeur, like, to himself. I love the way confession. they did that. You hear the delay of yeah. the phone convo coming through the, the radio, and, and so, yeah, he says something, and then he hears it right back to him. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. No, that so, yeah, was really cool. Yeah, so it's it's be he had this weird like pseudo exhibitionism while being like voyeuristically Self- listening in on yourself. Yeah, like, like uh, it's like the masturbatory version of voyeurism. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, like, it, it's this weird like like sort of like symbolic dissociation of like yeah, this masturbatory voyeurism where it's like I'm in my body but outside of it, observing what's taking place at the same time. Oh, man. Like, oh, that's weird. That is weird. (laughs) Um, Another thing this movie has going is uh, there are flashbacks to supposedly Martin's Are they flashbacks? Well, that's just it. They play, like, little flashbacks, but they also play, like, moments in his brain kind of thing. Like, weird fantasies. Like, there's a very fantastic element to it. But they're these black and white scenes that do the more classic vampire thing, like, you Down know, to the outfits that everybody's wearing. Yeah, the outfits. The you've got the villagers with torches and that, stuff. Like the settings and stuff, yeah. And I think that really serves to show the divide between, like, classic Dracula, Bram Stoker kind of thing. Yeah, like the gothic horror and mm-hmm. uh, a more modernist take on it. Yeah. Because everything is so ambiguous as to what is, like, actually happening. Like, he's a vampire in real life in the same way that... There was that vampire of Sacramento guy who went around drinking blood Mm -hmm. and like he was a serial killer and no one actually buys into his delusions that he's a vampire. Mm -hmm. Um, But that's what we see is this guy going like this. But the paternal figure is so dead set that he is Nosferatu. (laughs) Yeah. So there's a a lot of like, um, there's like a strong split 
and uh, it kind of muddies the waters as to what's going on. It does, because in the context of Vampire's Kiss, it kind of parallels Nick Cage's character when he's um, have at this, this psychiatrist appointment at the end, and it flashes back and forth between what he's seeing, which mm-hmm. is this conversation in, in her office, versus what we're seeing is a crazy man talking to himself on the street. Yeah. So it, with that in mind, I was kind of I maybe primed to see it as like okay is he have is, is Martin having memories which yeah. would lend to the idea that he is Nosferatu he's immortal he's been yeah. around for centuries or are we having glimpses into his delusion of what's yeah. going on so it it takes that same thing but really mm-hmm. much adds the ambiguity and yeah it's... much more ambiguous than like vampire's kiss yeah was so. in, ter- in terms of when there was that psychotic break from reality and it became very distinctly mm-hmm. shown that that was actually what was happening and so, you know it's like we were kind of suspecting it leading up to that, and then they were making it clear, like, okay, yes, yeah. this, this is what is happening, whereas Martin never really had that same kind of, like, payoff right. of really clearly showing you that. Definitely, yeah. And uh, compared to, since we're comparing it to Vampire's Kiss, where that one's a comedy, I almost found this one, like, a bit tragic and a little sad in a lot of ways. Like, mm-hmm. not saying I have a lot of pity for like Martin because <laughs> of his actions but at the same time there is so much to do with the idea of isolation and um alienation alienation yeah, yeah. and uh especially because he's living in like you hear people talking about moving away like Tom Savini's a character in this mm-hmm. well he plays a character yeah. in this <laughs> and he's talking about how he's a mechanic he should be fixing cars but there's no work right like everything's like on an economic downturn he's like if I want to work doing what I know how to do I've got to leave mm-hmm. and so there's this sort of desolate atmosphere anyway yeah it's really it's not, it's kind of stuck it's not going anywhere there's mm-hmm. not really much in the way of like prospects for a flourishing future yeah. in this place so it's almost like given his lot as this ambiguous vampire, it's like, what else is he going to do with mm-hmm. his days other than go and commit these crimes and then exactly. confess to his radio <laughs> yeah. clergy about it? Yeah, and then there's um, also, like, it almost brings about some of that. I mean, okay, not to be, make excuses, and I think this, like, the very first sort of scene where he we he's introduced as this guy engaging in vampirism, mm-hmm. so kind of negates this, but... Um, I was going to call this sort of like pseudo like chicken and egg situation where it's like, did he, did he sh- show up as Nosferatu and that's why the uncle or the, the family members calling him that, or did he become Nosferatu because mm, yeah. he was alienated from others and pushed away and kind of put into that role. It's almost, was he like his vampirism discursively formed? Yeah. 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 And it's like, well, okay, maybe not because the very first thing we see him engaging mm-hmm. even before he sees this, this, uh, uncle, grandpa, whatever, is vampirism. Yep. But we don't know what was. But at the going same time, we see these things that could be flashbacks showing mm-hmm. that the vampirism doesn't start in this kind of vein. And right. he shows up with that identity of being Nosferatu mm-hmm. as far as the paternal figure is concerned. Yeah. So, yeah, that's uh, interesting. I, like, like you said, I don't really know what to make of it either, but mm-hmm. I kind of like that it's ambiguous because it, it's not ambiguous in a way where I felt like let down. I didn't, yeah, feel, an, I didn't exactly. feel like it was like, oh, you didn't bother explaining anything. Yeah, no, it's not frustrating or, yeah, it doesn't leave you feeling disappointed. Yeah, I think the ambiguity is good for this movie mm-hmm. and it's... Yeah, it does it well, that's for sure. Um, anyone who's a Romero fan uh, and wants to see anything beyond the big zombie classics, this would be one of the first ones I'd go to. Mm-hmm. 
I'd suggest uh, this, um, The Crazies. Uh, I enjoyed The Dark Half, but it's a lot more schlock. Mm. Of course, there's Creepshow, which is pretty classic. Mm, yes. uh, but this is one that if you can find a copy, it's worth watching. It might be on some streaming platform somewhere. That's I just true. know that DVDs out of print, Blu-rays out of print, sort of like producer hold-up kind of thing. So oh. we're not getting releases. Although it is being released in the UK on supposedly a region-free oh. kind of thing. So. Well, there you go. Maybe maybe soon we'll get a nice slick remaster of this. Because well, nice. it definitely looked a bit grainy and, uh, mm-hmm. yeah. Cool. So that's Martin. And uh, what did we have next? We had Abel Ferrara's The Addiction. Yeah. Now this was a first time watch for me as well. Mm-hmm. I'd seen the other two before, but not this one. This is from uh, 1995. And another one that I have a hard time knowing what to make of it, or at least how mm-hmm. I feel about yeah, it, Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like, like we were saying, I think, after the movie, like, cinema, cinematographically, is that a word? Cinematography? But, but Cinematog- cinematographically speaking, yes. it was stunning. Yeah, I love the look of this film. Yes. It's in this very moody black and white, but in the mm. way where they use shadows yeah, so well. Yeah, they do, well. yes. And there's a lot of chiaroscuro happening. There's a lot of, like, really high contrast, mm-hmm. really great, like... It's not that, f- like, flat, you know, three-point lighting yeah. that you can see everything, but it doesn't have much interest to it. It's like, no, this is very yeah. moody, very... Like, they, they make good use of the black and white. It's not just, right. like, black and white for black and white's sake. Mm-hmm. And um, a lot of handheld camera work, but not in a way that seemed... This would have been before everything was a handheld. Mm-hmm. This is before the influence of, like, The Office and all that kind of stuff. Um, and it wasn't in a way where it looked cheap. If anything, it mm-hmm. added a bit to the more chaotic yes. nature of they're us- the again, main characters well, working. Not just for yeah. its own sake. No, so the it's uh, really nice to look at. And I felt like the first half hour or so, this movie just had me like riveted kind of mm-hmm. thing. Um, not that I thought the rest was that big of a letdown or anything like that, but it was so solid mm-hmm. in its construction at the start that I was glued. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. I'd say the same because, like, oh my gosh, what's going on? What's going to happen next? Yeah, what's no. happening? Um, yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. Overall, I would recommend this one. I liked it quite a bit, mm-hmm. but it's. Um, you have to kind of get past the wankiness of it. You do. I was going to say it is um, like first year bro taking philo- philosophy 101 class. But that, on steroids. Well, that's just it. It's one of those things where it's like, because the characters are philosophy students going for their oh, yeah, master, so the do- doctorates, yeah. right? And it's one of those things where it's like... But they're talking like first years. Yeah, but that that makes me... <laughs> I'm wondering how much of self... Like, that could be completely self-aware, or it could just be like yeah. total wank fest kind of exactly. thing. It's like, are we supposed to see them as being these... Elevated. Elevated like, philosophical, yeah. And their ivory tower of knowledge and prestige. Yeah, so it's kind of a weird one. I'm not sure what to make of that. Yeah, because it, it's not like what they were saying was irrelevant. Like, you know, they were talking a lot about, like, existential writers. Yeah. You know, Sartre comes up a lot. Just um, the concept of death and existence. Hegel, yeah, like, so, yeah, what, it wasn't, like, again, just it for its own sake, but it did have that sort of, like masturbatory like yeah i'm dropping all these names and references can you keep up with me yeah like it's more than just a basic set dressing because it mm-hmm. very much fits with the plot and story and the arc and the themes and all that stuff and, yeah. but at the same time it kind of becomes the narrative at certain yeah. points and that's where it's a little 
I'm a little less enthusiastic mm-hmm. about it, I guess. Like, yeah, it, it, it must have done something, like you were saying, where maybe there was some level of awareness or something there, because it didn't, like, piss me off, I guess. Like, I yeah, didn't have yeah. a reaction that was like, oh, fuck this. And I didn't this think is a it, wank fest. I didn't think it derailed the movie, no, so I so think that they, it, there was something going. They're just on thin fucking ice, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. But yeah, this was like... And you, you pointed out so many times how many shots are like, oh, hey, it's Miss 45. Oh, and this is Miss 45. Oh, God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw a lot of Miss 45 and Driller Killer in this. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll definitely get into that in a second. But did you want to sort of run us over the setup of this movie? Yeah, I suppose we should do that first before yeah. we get into too much of the, sh- the shots and everything. Know what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we have our philosophy phd played candidate. by lily taylor mm-hmm. from, from uh, the conjuring fame for modern six feet sense. under from um, uh, hemlock grove that x-file we just watched yeah so she, where... she's she's prolific you, you've seen her for sure especially yeah. if you watch like any sort of horror or like kind of yeah more contemporary i guess like cult tv at least yeah like, i'd say six feet under and stuff has and I will say base. she was definitely one of the strong points for me in this movie. Mm-hmm. I thought her performance was really good. Yeah, Even that, when the material was a bit wanky, yeah. I think she brought it. That's one thing I will say is that she, like she, I mean, I've always thought like in everything I've seen her in that she's an excellent actor, but mm-hmm. this, this was one of those ones where it like, you know, every, everything else is, is usually very put together, Yeah, I guess. Whereas this, when you have somebody who can do, you know, mentally well characters who are just kind of normal well, that's good. But when they can also do the like visceral, very raw, not afraid to make yeah. ugly faces and drool and cry and have their nose yeah. run like that kind of stuff, it's mm-hmm. like okay, that that is talent. Yeah, yeah, she can <laughs> like um, she can do both. Yeah, like I think of like Tony Collette in Hereditary, like yeah. the only redeeming part of that movie, in my opinion. But that's and she's other. so good that she's it, so fucking it speaks good. Speaks for a lot. It does. But... <laughs> it was like I like she should have won so many awards for that. I would have like fucking died for her based on that mm. fucking performance. Like it's incredible i just remember thinking like this is amazing and so that's what that kind of brought me back to was seeing her um you're, seeing lily taylor's just character. as a little sidebar your your take on um hereditary just makes me think it like because you defend tony collette so hard like understandably so even though you, it's not your favorite movie by a long stretch yes um, but it just kind of makes me think that you're doing like a hate the sin not the sinner <laughs> kind of thing <laughs> don't you deserve better <laughs> Um, yeah, I guess you could look at it that way. <laughs> love, love, love mm. the sinner. Die for the sinner. The sinner's just so talented. So you're a bit Jesus-y in this. Apparently. Die for that sinner. Anyway, anywho, so, um, Lily Taylor, The Addiction. Yes, so she's, um, out one night walking home and this vampy lady corners her, pushes her into this, like, tunnel alley, Sorry, alley thing, yeah. type thing and bites her and yeah. drinks her blood mm-hmm. and just just like assaults her and keeps saying like tell me no tell me no tell, tell me, me no to, that's tell like me to go thing. away tell yeah. me to leave you alone don't ask tell me and she you know being a young woman who has probably been conditioned to oh you gotta let everybody down nicely you know it, the best she can get is like please don't do this yeah the, yeah and she's like no don't ask me you have to tell me and yeah just that conditioning of like well, don't put your boundaries up too firmly or you might mm-hmm. hurt someone else's feelings. You have to be accommodating. Mm-hmm. If you couldn't tell, I've had a lot of life experience with this kind of thing. So uh-huh. I, it definitely um, resonated as yeah. a realistic kind of relatable situation. Mm-hmm. And this is her downfall is that she, yep. she, she can't 
firmly commit to saying no mm-hmm. or telling her in no uncertain terms to leave. So she get she's victimized. Like there's no telling um, how what good her firmly saying no would have this done. This is true. But it is one of those things where it really in the vampire's mind, the, the stalkers, it's giving that sort of um, permission. And like, it's also illustrating for her just how powerless she is in mm-hmm, that situation. Yeah. Where it's like you can't even say no. You don't. Yeah. Even even when you when it could save you because because yeah. you don't know. But when you can't even say no to stop it, mm-hmm. look how powerless you are. You're completely under my control and at my yeah every whim. And this sequence was one of the ones that reminded me of Miss Forty Five. Mm-hmm. Like uh, when she's walking home and the the rapist pulls her into the alley in yeah. Miss Forty Five kind of thing. This there was just so many parallels to mm-hmm. me, like how chaotic the camera work got, how visceral and aggressive the scene scene mm-hmm. the scene seemed. <laughs> um, it was one of those things where you know, like, yeah, it's a violent attack. Of course, it should be aggressive and yes. visceral and and horrible kind of thing. Of course. Um, but this, I don't know, I just totally got, like, you would mentioned it, too. Like, it's just totally, total familiarity there. Like, oh, hey, Dana. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> hey, rapist man, but who's actually a pretty lady yeah. this time. Annabelle Shiora? Annabella? She had a very familiar name mm. that I, I was like, oh, yeah, I've, I've seen her. In, and when she, as soon as she popped up, I'm like, that's her? I don't know why I know that, but that is definitely oh, her. Okay, because I didn't recognize her because i saw the so. name pop up in the beginning and i was like i i know that name for oh, some cool. reason hmm. it'd be interesting to figure out what mm-hmm. uh-huh. i'll have to look it up after and we'll be like oh of course it was this yeah, yeah. i don't know but anyway um she's quite shaken mm-hmm. lily taylor's character that is um she reports it to the police the you know goes to the hospital to make sure everything's okay to yeah. the best of their ability because you know when a stranger bites you and it in, you know, opens up a skin wound and introduces their own fluids to it. When you yeah. have like the AIDS crisis in the you know peripherals, still view going. Kind of thing. Yeah. It's like I mean, not that it ended, but yeah, but like the, I guess the sort of really big like, oh my god, this is what's yeah. like it was still fresh in everybody's mind, even yeah. if it wasn't at its peak. Because it wasn't that long after like mass public started taking it seriously. Yes, exactly. So that was so yeah, like, and I mean, at that point, I imagine they didn't have the technology that we have these days that like. You know, porn performers and sex workers, when they do their their blood tests, they do some kind of special... What did... I was reading about it one time. It, like... I think it has to do with the RNA or something, but it can detect the, like, HIV-AIDS virus sooner than your standard Right, because I know, like, with the blood test, doesn't it take months for it to show up using your most basic, like... Yeah, so they they use a specialized one that, because it's industry protocol, they can sort of, like batch order it right so that's what allows them to keep it like affordable for for people in the industry at least i didn't know about that that's uh yeah it was because i was reading about um stoya of course our our sweetheart she's (laughs) fantastic like i I love her writing and um she was talking about this was when there was that ballot in california to make condoms mandatory in porn right and she's like okay as somebody who works in this industry here's why that is a horrible fucking idea and one of them was that using condoms which are designed for like i don't know what's the average timing of intercourse like seven minutes or something yeah using that for what can sometimes be like an entire day shoot it's like it's not going to stand up to Mm -hmm. 
protect from anything. If anything, yeah. it's going to like they you know create chafing and stuff that is yeah. just going to open up skin wounds and make people more susceptible yeah. to any kind of like virus contaminant. But also, plus that false sense of security. Yeah, that it's it a provides. false sense of security, and if that then becomes the standard, and we stop doing this like weekly blood and urine tests and stuff, then there's that. That's not going to be industry protocol. We're not going to get these batch orders of these mm-hmm. tests. It's going to become unaffordable, and less people are going to. They're not going to be as safe as they're being right now. Yeah. Yes, this is a Sir Porncast again. Porncast, yeah. Porncast. But yeah, it's really interesting. I encourage because because everyone thinks like, oh well, of course they should do that. It's like. No, again, actually listen to the people working in the industry, not the people. And who I have mean, I get where the the logic it. comes from, yes. from as an outsider. Yeah, somebody like, you know, because yeah, it's just engage like, in like regular degular. It's like yeah, condoms are a smart idea, yes, kind of thing like but that. But you're it's... not spending hours and hours mm-hmm. and hours in under hot lights and but in I think front of a, you know what I mean. Like, that's just the thing yeah. is that where where i fall out of it is it's like the people don't listen to the mm-hmm. people who know they don't because they don't they don't know better they're delusional for even being in this industry in the first place they need saving mm. anyway anyway so, so yeah, the addiction this, this was hiv aids testing um um i found that that part where she's in the hospital it again sort of cemented the whole vampire attack as sexual assault thing which mm-hmm. is a trope that comes up a lot cuz i sort of got this sort of post attack trauma kind of absolutely. vibe from the like way her, they played it yeah her sense of self was absolutely shaken like when she goes home afterwards and we just sort of see her wandering her apartment and like a ghost yeah 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 like she's yeah she's it, you definitely have that like acute trauma reactivity because you know post-traumatic stress you have to you have to wait at least a month to diagnose it so okay, mm-hmm. it's cute stress but still it's that post or peri-traumatic event that mm-hmm. just like completely shakes you to your core and just upsets every sort of sense of like self and security and anything being any like life as you know it yeah in the immediate aftermath at least mm-hmm. so yeah you they, they played that up exactly and yeah. it was the same thing with um what was the best the police could give her was like oh you're lucky that she didn't kill you or something it's like yeah, oh that's right? a familiar line like, yeah lucky she didn't slit your throat and should, it's like yeah, yeah exactly like oh count your lucky stars assault victim that at least it wasn't worse it's like yeah, yeah that's so fucking like affirming and loving mm-hmm. and that's a great way to talk to somebody who has just experienced a trauma yeah like good for you yeah that whole you're look for the silver person. lining is great yeah. if you're in the headspace and like yeah. comfortable enough to to take that on exactly but you have to before they can get to that headspace they need someone to like get down in the shitty feelings muck with them and validate mm-hmm. and be like yeah you like there's a reason you're feeling this mm-hmm. way and it's not your fault yeah. and they just skip straight to the like we shouldn't slit your throat bye so <laughs> yeah no kidding yeah that was so that yeah it was it was very realistic in that aftermath both in terms of her own reaction and the police's yeah definitely anyway so where do where do we go from here um she becomes very withdrawn but also you see her changing like she um because she 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 attack is attacks a woman first and then shoots up with the professor i can't remember the exact yeah. order um but she starts kind of acting out, I guess, mm-hmm. and, and in very unusual ways. Like at one point, she invites her, you know, kind of like goes out with her professor. I'm not like sure. her advisor. Yeah, I, like think. The, yeah, yeah. I don't know if he's the, yeah, the advisor, supervisor, whatever for her thesis. I think he, he was because yeah. they were meeting to talk about right. under the the auspice of we're going to meet at this jazz club or something. Yeah, to yeah. Like it's like talk about your very uh, proposal. Platonic 
thing happening here. Yeah. Um, and like takes him home. Mm-hmm. And like shoots up jumps heroin. his bones like yeah, immediately jumps his bones and they shoots shoot. heroin with him. Yeah, that's where you you're like, oh yeah, this is a New York '90s movie kind yes. of thing where it's just like, as someone who who's like living in like suburban Canada kind of thing, it's like one of those things where it's just like how in your face with the she pulls up the kit and just starts cooking heroin. And he's like, yeah, I'm into this. Mm-hmm. It's um, it seemed a little alien to me, which you is know? so funny because apparently the suburbs, the suburbs is where the opiate crisis is, is. where the opiate. Yeah. Cri- well, that's why it became a crisis, right? Is because it's affecting upwardly mobile. You're right. It white wasn't. It wasn't a crisis children. before. At least that's how they spin it, right? Yes. And it's fucked up yeah exactly just like fucked you know up it, if true it caught you know, a couple decades ago like when when you look at the parallels of how like the crack epidemic and yep. crack babies and all that mm-hmm. stuff was when it was affecting primarily lower class primarily people of color primarily like black yep. americans especially there was no sense of compassion it was like look at these like shouldn't have become a crackhead then yeah exactly whereas now it, it's a crisis it's yep. our children it's like well ch- other people's children have been suffering for decades mm. But they weren't the right kind of children to warrant compassion. Yeah. So. Or like to go back to this, it's like the AIDS crisis back mm-hmm. when it was uh, a gay, seen as a gay disease. Yeah. Like. And it's still honestly like so much of it is still uh-huh. seen that way, and it's like 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 uh, blood bans on donations yeah. and all that kind of stuff. Oh yeah, Canada recently lowered it to um, men who have sex with men or uh, trans women who haven't transitioned. And anyone who has sex with any like person with a penis who has sex with someone with a penis, basically, they only have to be a celibate for three months now. Oh wow! Meanwhile, I could hypothetically speaking, if I wanted to go bang up, in the parking I could, lot, I could bang a different guy every day for a month and donate blood on the first of the following month. Yeah, with no questions asked. Uh-huh. So, yeah. Excuse the fuck out of exactly. us. Exactly. Kind of so, um, but yeah, and then given that this movie is called The Addiction, when she blatantly brought out the heroin and that was the first time we saw her using it it's like okay what really happened in that uh, in that scene was this did you make sense of it as a vampire attack and sort of like dissociated and that's sort of the narrative right. concocted around it when instead maybe you were injected with something yeah or yeah I, I was kind of it was it kind of became more ambiguous for me that that's an interesting reading on it that's cool though because like I, I was trying to figure out how addiction played into this mm-hmm. at the start and it, like it, it comes up like with the heroin scene and then we sort of see her vampirism as like withdrawal symptoms and mm-hmm. stuff like that but that's interesting take on it yeah because it's, it, in the same way that um like in tales from the hood where the the little kid he made sense of what was happening to his family with his abusive stepfather as like it's as a monster there's a monster in my, monster closet, in yeah. my and then of course that's what a cat makes sense or a cat and of course, that's what a kid, you know, with the limited framework they have to operate within. Mm-hmm. That's your um, story. Someone told me today was, uh, I think, a couple that she knew they had their um, like four or five year old walked in on them being intimate. Oh, wrestling. Exactly. And then um, the next day, the kid's like, mom, was Uncle Phil or whoever over last night? And she goes, no, why are you asking? He's like, oh, because I saw him and daddy wrestling. And so it's like, he didn't even make sense that that was his mom. It's like, oh, okay, my uncle must have been over and, you know, my dad and his brother, they were just roughhousing. Mm-hmm. And because that's that's the framework he's operating within. It was just like, yeah, that makes sense. That's what, that's what happened. So, if, yeah, if I was like, well, maybe, you know, she's this philosophical, symbolic, like, talking in all these, like, narratives and philosophy and all these. And I was like, maybe she concocted this sort of, like, story for herself. Right. about what happened to her to 
process it better, I guess, yeah, in the yeah. sense of it, as opposed to just It's almost like, like a self-preservation Exactly, technique. exactly yeah. that. Like, the, the narrative we, we tell ourselves to preserve ourselves mm-hmm. as we, like, our, ourselves, literally, mm-hmm. like, our sense of self. Exactly. Right. Yeah, that. But yeah, she's, um, soon, yeah, she's, she, on the one hand, she's withdrawing, and, you know, she's not showing up at class, her mm-hmm. friend's worried about her. Um, she's like, you know, you're so close to like finishing your thesis and to mm-hmm. graduating and becoming a doctor and you're just like pulling out now because the friend doesn't know what happened, I don't think. Yeah. Or at least not to the degree that it's affected she her. She knows something's yes. up, but. Yeah. But she's not aware like, oh yeah, I was assaulted in an alley by a stranger and may have been like exposed to something and just like all these layers of what and happened. She just knows feel something like, happened. Yet again, this hits on the whole sexual assault yeah, thing. Yeah, shame. Where it's like, just like, I can't... She, she wants to keep in the DL because of that shame, yep, potentially. Shame um, but her presumable best friend can tell something's mm-hmm. up with her because it, it her, her sense of self has been marred or changed or and it's changed. I'm not sure what word you want to use, yeah. but it's been altered. I don't want to be like damaged goods yeah, kind of that, thing. That like I'm not trying to put that in there. Place that narrative on anybody. Cause um, I understand these things can the be damaging, least. Yes, but it doesn't mean you are therefore a damaged person yes. who is irrecuperable. <laughs> yes. You got it. Um, but yeah, she starts going around, um, doing exactly what was done to her to others mm-hmm. like she she ends up doing it to her best friend she does it to this uh random guy she like picks up in the street to hook yeah. up with i think she does it to another woman she does yep because at first i was like oh okay so she's doing this to women but then she's shooting up heroin with men that's a thing i want to talk about is um remember when this was a gay podcast <laughs> remember when we used to talk about queer stuff we haven't done that in a while it feels like um huh yeah so Oops. Uh, yeah, oops, are bad, but, 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 this movie had some very sapphic leanings in the way it portrayed things, like the Dracula, stop that, like the Dracula character was a woman in this, so it was more like a Camilla, or Carmilla kind of thing, mm, um, yeah, and, because I guess we did have a sort of, maybe not Dracula himself, but like, elder vampire, like, we had Christopher Walken. Yeah, Christopher Walken rocks up inexplicably in this movie and then disappears just as inexplicably. <laughs> um, but yeah, as far as the origin of the... Um, of her yes. transformation. And then, um, as I think we're pointing out, it takes a while for her to, like, chomp down on a dude. Like, at first she's mm-hmm. biting women in the throat, and it's got that sort of very almost sexualized violence that the yeah. Dracula story generally has. And she also repeats the, like, tell me no, tell yeah. me tell me to stop. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't remember the exact line, but it was yeah. very much like, oh, yeah, say no. Tell me to go, I tell think me it to, was. Yeah, tell me to go. Um, but then uh, when she goes after her professor, um, she shoots his blood up. Like That's heroin. That's right, And it's yeah. one of those things where it's just like, there's a weird disconnect between... And I'm being binarist here, but yeah. uh, male and female victims. Well, yeah, the female victims get ravished, and the yeah. the male victims just get like covertly like they get shot up, and then they get yeah. their their blood stolen without them even realizing it. Like, yeah, <laughs> and it's uh, a, a a woman doing this, mm-hmm. which is what makes it a little more complicated because you're wondering: is this showing like women as victim? Is this showing like if we're going the sort of sexualized vampire approach? There's some queerness going on. Yeah, there's, like, this internalized, like, 
self as aggressor, but at the same time, women as victims. And from the perspective of someone who is also mm-hmm. a woman. And so, I don't feel like I'm reading too much into that because going off of Abel Ferrara's track record, yeah. um, like he did Pasolini, yeah. which was uh, quite gay. Yes. Um, but then in Driller Killer, the uh, main character played by Abel Ferrara himself mm-hmm. is rooming with, uh, he's got lesbian roommates kind of <laughs> thing. And uh, so that kind of content isn't just like, it's not the kind of thing that it's like, what? In a Ferrara movie? No No. way. I mean, his first fucking movie he made was called Nine Lives of a Wet Pussy. So, (laughs) yeah, he started in porn. Of course he did. Yeah. (sighs) That is, like, the least surprising thing I've heard all week. Mm -hmm. And I don't mean that in, like, a... Like, no, 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 no. I know you're not shaming. Yeah. (laughs) You you mean that it's just like, yeah, that tracks. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. But the addiction, so vampirism in the addiction. um, Vampirism as the addiction. Yeah, because as I was saying earlier, it seems like her addiction, or uh, the vampirism, it takes, when she doesn't get blood, she has withdrawal systems. Like, I think Christopher Walken even refers to it as a fix. Like, he makes it very clear that it's like this drug parallel. Mm -hmm. And And that you're uh, not going to be able to last without it. mm -hmm. And then in horror movie fashion, her withdrawal... I realize that withdrawal can be really scary, especially from... Oh, yeah, you can straight up, like, hallucinate. Yeah, but in the movie, it does take that sort of, like, almost like exorcism kind of possession sort of angle, which, Mm -hmm. again, I know isn't that far from the truth of what it can be like. Yeah, and even the story, like, the um, narrative that some people in recovery will set up for themselves is... Like the the addiction itself is they externalize it as being whether it, if it's from a religious angle it could be a demon mm-hmm. from um, I think I've heard about some for like indigenous peoples um, sometimes like the narrative type therapy being popular and not looking at it as a demon because you know obviously it's like a different spiritual framework and everything yeah, but it's looking, not Judeo Christian exactly you know but still as as sort of like um, as a negative figure who's come into your life that. You need to fight, basically. Right. But it's someone separate from yourself. It's not an inherent part of yourself. It's an entity that has... Yeah. Invaded. Invaded, exactly. Yeah. Invaded your personhood. And it's part of... Your big part of healing is building up the resources within mm-hmm. yourself to be able to fight it off. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Which I find is interesting because when there are scenes of her in the hospital, um, any sort of sense of like you know she's possibly crashed and she's trying to recover it also has that very catholic kind of hospital mm-hmm. so there's a lot of the ca- catholic imagery so it's like you get that doubling of like the medical surrounding let's recover from drug addiction and the religious let's recover from vampirism from, from kind of spiritual thing. distress and yeah. spiritual toxic whatever you want to call it yeah, so I, I, I liked that doubling of it, because mm-hmm. I know religious iconography, or specifically Catholic iconography, comes up in Ferrara's work a lot. It's almost like he was raised, like, you know, Italian Catholic boy or With a name like that? Abel Ferrara? Catholic? <laughs> no. no. Italian's um, Catholic? No. Well, in Driller Killer, uh, he sort of goes to church a lot as his confessional. Mm-hmm. Miss 45, she dresses as a nun. Yep. In Bad Lieutenant, I believe there is a nun, like none role play kind of thing going on i don't remember exactly it's been a long time since i've seen that but that imagery is once again sort of par for the course for his work and um given so so doing this sort of vampire narrative for it almost seems 
because that's like what the most catholic boogeyman you can have other than the <laughs> devil himself that's true um yeah i guess va- vampires are some more agents of the devil that yeah you know it's just demons, like the but... crucifix wars them back um they can't do holy water i don't know what the garlic is about maybe catholics just don't like garlic Which do you is like so f- but you love, I garlic. love garlic and like so much of italian and greek i mean i guess greeks ha- is more orthodox but still like Spain, like so much of the quiz, like the really good, like you know, like sort of Mediterranean South European cuisine, it's like everything starts with garlic. Maybe that's uh, maybe that's how they that they like they well, differentiate. Yeah, yeah that, that that's their like. Um, oh, you must be a demon. That's you the thing. That's like their test from the thing, where it's like <laughs> that's the blood test. From yeah, the, the blood thing, test yeah. is like how does your blood react to garlic? If Love if, you, it. if you can eat it, you're one of us. <laughs> if Love you're it. not, you're 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 a troublemaker. <laughs> <laughs> that that's perfect. <laughs> oh shit. Um, so your mom and her hatred of garlic yeah. is real sus. It's very sus. <laughs> but it's always been sus. I missed out on so much good garlic as a kid. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You make up for it now. Oh, and I and do. do. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. So addiction, you'd recommend? Yeah. Yeah, cool. Uh, next up, we watched... Next up, we watched 1974's Death Dream by Bob Clark. I recommended this at an earlier episode for our urban legend episode this was my movie recommendation this was thrown in sort of as like a let's open this up as opposed to like because most of the movies are people where it's are they really a vampire or are they not kind of thing so i'm like they're running around drinking blood and shit yes i'm like let's do something where the vampire myth doesn't even enter into it so much but so much of uh the sort of like vampire idea comes yeah, through aspects of, like, yeah behavior and behavior yeah, yeah. <laughs> so death dream is about andy and his family uh his family are good americans living at home in their nice house and all that mm-hmm, uh, mother father and his sister andy is away at war in vietnam and he voluntarily conscripted. Yeah, I would have assumed he was drafted, but no, yeah, he, no volunteered. he volunteered. Um, and the opening moments of the movie are him getting shot to death. Yeah, like uh, not much of a spoiler before. because it yeah. happens. Like, and then the beginning credits play. Yes. Um, but what happens is his uh, mother, uh, when they get the news, his mother says that can't be the true he must be alive and then like makes this almost like prayer wish this is where the story's sort of based on the monkey's paw mm-hmm. where she makes the wish like andy's got to come home and then sure enough we see this uh get pet soldier cemeteried. walking down the street <laughs> hitchhiking kind yes. of thing and like, who, um who could that be hmm. this sort of narrative of uh he's killed and then comes home that right there even before we get into the supernatural stuff is sort of reminiscent of the vampire stuff i think of the dracula story Mm -hmm. as i've brought up a bunch where um dracula sets sail like in the coffin on the boat and he Mm -hmm. gets across the sea in a coffin and that's how so many people came home from vietnam and it's one of those things where the idea of your boys coming home in a box kind of thing uh that's sort of how dracula made his big appearance right and um, so you kind of get that parallel right off the bat before we even see any sort of blood drinking. But don't worry, it's not too long until then, as mm-hmm. the guy that picks him up, he slits his throat and drinks his blood. 
That's right. Actually, this one features him shooting up a dude's blood, too, doesn't it? Uh, yeah, yeah, I think that's why when you said that, I was like, did she do that? Because I was having flashbacks to the other movie, but then... Yeah, because like, Death Dream takes the guy's blood yeah. in this huge fucking syringe and just shoots it yeah, into his I arm. Yeah, because I don't think he actually... Does he drink it? I think he just shoots it up. He slashes throats and stuff like that, yeah. Yeah, but then he, like, um, takes the blood as opposed to just, like, drinking it there. Yeah, so, like, there. he needs blood to live and survive. Sorry, there was a bunny running back. Um, much like a vampire, but it's more detached mm-hmm. kind of thing. It doesn't have that sort of sexual aspect that so much a vampire myth does. Where And I'm, yeah, appara- like I'm being, like, clinical. super Freud with it. But, <laughs> um, it's valid. Uh, with this say. one... He starts decaying unless he gets fresh blood because he turns into this like zombified ghoul kind of mm-hmm. thing. Um, anyway, people start to notice something's up. Like the dad notices he's all kinds of fucked up. His sister is just more blinded by her joy to have him back than anything. Mm-hmm. Whereas the mother is in full blown denial that there's anything wrong with Andy. Absolutely. And uh, it's sort of like it really follows that monkey paw thing of careful what you wish for kind of thing. Get it. Yeah. Um, vampirism in this one. I oh. like that that analogy or that comparison you made of um, boy coming home in a box. Because mm. yeah, that is sort of the perfect entrance of of the vampire. Yeah. Um, and yeah, this idea that he well he can't be dead. It's like he died, but he. He came back, but not all the way. Yeah, he's back. He very much is of the undead, but mm-hmm. not in like a cliche sort yeah, of like way. Yeah, like he still has some semblance of like sentience and mm-hmm. subjectivity. He's not just like an animated like. Oh, he, he's like the halfway point between a vampire and a zombie kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, and and it you definitely. I mean, I guess if zombies are t- talked about being pure id. And the ego is just super ego or just gone. Yeah. And it's just, um, then in that sense, yeah, he does have a lot of very violent impulses yeah. that aren't really mitigate, having anything to mitigate mm-hmm. them there. Um, and I think that, that, yeah, the violence, that was something that I, I, I made a comment on where, um, because they, there were reports that this, this truck driver was murdered by a hitchhiking soldier. Mm-hmm. And at some point someone says, how could a soldier do that to someone? Yeah. And I was like, oh, that's fucking rich. Yeah, I, I had to point out the time this was made where it's just like, like this is just when they were when actually were getting the news yes, media of exactly. what like, happens. Like I, I remember even learning in school yeah. that the, with yeah, the mass availability of TVs, of overseas news and stuff, that the Vietnam War was sort of the turning point that everyone, like it actually became very visible. Was the reality of war, yeah. Yeah, we weren't able to just say like oh, your heroes fighting abroad heroes yeah. fighting for our freedoms it's like well here's the what that looks like yeah, there's so many people that still say that <laughs> oh i know it's it's scary like i remember last um remembrance day which is in november here mm-hmm. um there was a girl on tv and like she was like a robot like she was i don't know she's like an elementary school kid maybe yeah. junior high so like i i get it but the programming already but the runs programming deep. oh my god yeah she, she was just like yeah we we need to honor them because they they fought for our freedoms and like they, and like remembrance day you are yes. remembering like we're talking like world war ii kind of thing yeah. where there still is that which sort was supposed of, to be the war to end all wars so yeah you have people like harry leslie smith rest in peace mm. um where he you know he, he fought in the second world war for sure and mm-hmm. he's like yeah we you know instead of wearing poppies on remembrance day we should or veterans day or whatever wherever it whatever it's called where you celebrate 
Um, he said we should be wearing our shame mm. that we're still fucking doing this. Yeah. And then when people try to call him out, he's like, okay, here's a picture of me in the army as we used to say, fuck Hitler. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, careful who you're talking to. Oh, yeah, he, he was incredible. And he, he passed away, like, in the last year, year or so. Or, yeah. I think it was last winter, yeah. last fall, maybe. So, um, yeah, incredible person. He was a huge advocate for so like anti-war efforts. Yeah, bash the fash for the people, like refugees, people fleeing from war-torn zones and stuff. He saw it firsthand. He saw it being caused, and he saw he he's lived he lived long enough to see shit repeating and being. This is the exact same thing that happened, just with a different population this time. And we are never doing anything to stop this. At least nothing sufficient. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so um. But yeah, this in this interview I was talking about that like anything they say that you just like repeat verbatim like yes they they fought for our freedoms they they we we have to honor them because they fought for our freedoms and yeah no it's just it, it obfuscates the fact that so much of war is just sending off civilians to be cannon fodder mm-hmm. for the war machine that has become very 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 profitable mm-hmm. for I um I wouldn't say a lot of people yeah but. A significant enough group that they maintain their interests and always find any excuse for war. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think, as you pointed out, this could be a very critical thing where it's if people are just getting their first glimpse into what a soldier can do. Yeah. And for someone to say, well, how could a soldier do that? It's like, that's literally their job. Yeah, so, like, I feel like this movie definitely is a comment on the Vietnam War mm-hmm. as much as it is, like, the... The comment on grief and loss, grief, kind on of shell thing. shock, on yeah. like you know, he either your boy's going to come back in a box or he's going to come back not the same. Yeah, and he kind of did both. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you, of both you even see him like there's times where they're like where where is he and he and he's upstairs and he's like sitting Just in a in chair rocking, rocking chair, back yeah. and forth like he you know he's not literally in the fetal position but it's that same kind of like withdrawing into yourself yep. that imagery you get of somebody who's just like having like a dissociative episode mm-hmm. like okay i need to survive this i need to survive this i'm just everything's going blank and yeah. i'm just like zoned out yeah and just trying to like stay grounded to some extent while i just psychologically at least like just zone out completely yeah um i found the ending of this movie to be quite sad like it's mm-hmm. a very existential nihilistic fits in with that nice 70s milieu very well but yes. it's um <laughs> There's something heartfelt about the way that this wraps up, mm-hmm. and uh, it's... I forgot also how much fun this movie was. Like, especially, like, yeah. the, the <laughs> sort of, like, final act of the movie. It's yeah, like, holy shit, like, I forgot about so much of this. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah. I'd recommend it. I'm glad we watched it yeah, again. Um, cool. Well, I suppose we should get to our last movie while we still have time. Mm-hmm. And we wrapped this all up with 1995's Habit by Larry Fessenden. A.K.A. the guy in all the horror movies. Yeah, or not the, horror, but like like indie... The guy who produces and is in so many of these so movies. So many, yeah. yeah. Um, if you're a gamer or if you play video games and you still are like me and it's just like, no, I don't want it to be my identity, go away. <laughs> um he did Until Dawn, mm-hmm. that sort of like slasher movie hybrid game. I remember watching you play that. Mm. I think, I, I don't know, I was working on homework or something, but it was, you yeah. were doing it the other night, I kept looking over and being like, oh man, this is intense. Yeah. <laughs> Seems like a good game. Yeah, it's good fun. So, and he, 
in addition to starring in this, did he... He, he wrote and directed yeah, it. Yeah, okay. I say, I know he directed it. I'm like, I'm pretty sure he wrote I it. I think he wrote it. it. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, it was, this was very much a... Not a one-man show, but it was a small kind of... Yeah. You could tell... Probably a small crew effort. Kind yeah. Of thing, it's kind of like how we do, where it's like, get all yeah. your buddies together and like, let's make a movie. Make a movie, yeah. Which is super fun. Yeah, so, it's a good again, way to no, do like, it. no disintended or anything. Like, I'm not saying it's like a... You can tell that it's a cheaply made movie. It's like, no, I think it actually does a... Well, yeah, it's one of those things where, like, you look at, like, Herschel Gordon-Lewis movies, and they're so much fun, but it's like, oh, that was a two-person crew? I believe it. I believe it, it. yeah. (laughs) Yeah. This one, I wouldn't say that about. Yep. Like, it's still the cinematography, and... I felt like this really showed, like, I... Seeing this, I understood better, not that I I was confused by it, but I understood better how this guy went on to become such, like, a player in the indie horror Mm -hmm. scene, because it's like, oh, shit, he brought the goods, he knows what he's doing, kind of thing. Yeah, like, the triple threat, like, not only am I starring in it, but I wrote it, I directed it, and it's fucking solid. The quadruple threat, because he also has to run around hanging dong for a lot of it. Yeah, there you go. The dong itself makes it quadruple threat. (laughs) Okay, so we have, um... Larry. What's his name in the, in the movie? I was gonna call him Larry. We got Larry. We got Larry, and uh, he's he's at a party in New York, and uh, very uh, drunk at this Halloween party. Like Halloween he party. is. Um, yes, you get a sense that he, he might have a little bit of a drinking problem. Just a bit. Just, just a perhaps. tad. And uh, you get the idea that he's recently broken up with his long-term girlfriend. She's gonna be moving out, so his his life is kind of just like in shambles like he he has it together enough like he's not you know out on the street or anything because he's just absolutely lost everything but he's his life kind of sucks right now yeah and at the party he meets this mysterious woman named anna yep who uh hits it off with and he they're they're gonna leave together but he forgot his he he grabbed the wrong jacket at the party so he's like well wait for me i'll be right back and she's like well yeah okay and, like, slips him her number without, like, him realizing it, I guess. Yeah. And uh, when he goes, he gets his jacket, he goes back. Wait, he doesn't realize because he's so drunk. She's like, take my number, take yeah. my number. So I think she's I'm like, putting it in your pocket. Yeah, and it's and like, he's but just, he's just so wasted. He doesn't notice. Exactly. And so, yeah, when he, come, when he leaves the party with his jacket, mm-hmm. the correct one, she's gone. Yeah. So it goes home, sleeps it off. Um, we see the kitty playing. What was, what was the cat's name? The cat had great. It was like Mud or something? Yeah, Mud. Mud. <laughs> My name is Mud. Yeah, Kitty's playing and oh, knocked the phone number into some like crevice in the ground. So, yeah. whoops. Um, I was like surprised to see that he held on to the phone number for that long where it's like, oh man, I would have assumed he would have lost it in the jacket exchange or something like that. I did. I did. So then, it must have been like his jean pocket Yeah, but then something. like on top of that, it's just like just to like extra nope. Not getting that. The cat just knocks just it into the little... As a cat would. This is very feline way cats are dicks you see and i love them so much (laughs) (laughs) me too um and so yeah you you know help the girlfriend move out he has a couple of friends um the dude and his girlfriend that they're nick nick or something yeah the guy who looks like he like i said he looks the most contemporary even though he looks like a total like doofus yeah and he looks like he'd be running a vape shop nowadays. Yes, he does. He, yeah, so it, it, yeah, everything's come so full circle that it's like, is he technically his, like near historical or is he just contemporary? Yeah, it's kind of like that guy in really Rats, tell. Knights of Terror, <laughs> Knights of Rats. <laughs> exactly. That dude, it's like, okay, is this, is this outdated or is this extremely contemporary? Time is cyclical. Yeah, evidently. Movie fashion proves it. <laughs> fashion in general proves it. Yeah. 
Anyway, um, at the fair or something, he, Larry, our, our boy Larry, has a chance encounter and runs into to Anna again. Seems chance on his side, not yes. so chance on hers. That's true. She just kind of turns up and is like, hey, what's up? And they immediately start like making out. They go mm-hmm. off to Battery Park, I think they said. He gets a handy under a war memorial. That was a trip. Or it's just like, handy at the war memorial. Yeah, like, like, what is this saying? Oh, wow. <laughs> wakes up on the grass and is like, what happened? Where is she? And so from then on, she just kind of keeps like coming into her life, into his life as on her own, like as she pleases. Yeah. Kind of. And, um, he never really knows when to like, expect Like, I think, uh, like, it's made explicit much later in the movie that he doesn't even know what she does. Yeah. Like, she, Larry never said what you, what you do. And she's like, oh, I never told him. Yeah. I think, I, I remember there was, I thought I remember him, him asking her a question and she kind of, um derailed it really quickly and he let her mm-hmm. it wasn't i don't think it was as explicit as that but yeah she really didn't reveal anything about herself other than um she fucks a lot i guess <laughs> yeah there is a lot of fuckage like that one fucking part where they're banging on the floor and they start crawling across the floor while fucking this weird like fucking crab walk yeah it's like that weird exorcist walk but while fucking and yes, it's, it's like two bodies and... why is this happening yeah what is this and why is this so many questions. Yeah. And so as he's, um, this relationship is progressing, his relationships with his ex, so they're trying to kind of keep it amicable mm-hmm. and still maybe at least be able to talk to each other, be friends, be supports in each other's lives, um, is deteriorating. He's, uh, eventually they go out to, what was it, like, um... That best friend Nick or whatever, his girlfriend, I think her, like, grandfather... Her, her grandmother died, yeah. yeah, and they go out to, like, the sort of farmhouse kind of thing, yeah. like, their place in the country. Yeah, so it's in part to do, like, a friend's Thanksgiving thing, mm-hmm. but in part to also, I guess, help her, like, clear it out yeah. and start working on that. And, yeah, Anna shows up to that and uh, doesn't get along so nicely with um, the friend group. Yeah, Larry just, like doesn't see what everyone else seems to see in her mm-hmm. and um it's almost like that's there's an intent on her part mm-hmm. to like sort of like doesn't matter what they think of me as long as and not like in that affirming it's like i don't care what they think as long as like i'm good no it's like she's very much trying to manipulate larry yes yeah and and yeah i guess one thing we didn't mention is a lot of the times when they're banging she'll just like like, the very first time when she's giving him, giving him the handy, she bites his lip. Yeah. And then... And his, I guess I didn't realize this movie only takes place over a few days, but... Yeah, it seemed, it seemed longer than that. Yeah. But yeah, they and, and then at another point, she, like, bites his arm, I think. Yeah. And stuff, and, and so he's has this realization, it's like, yeah, she's weird, but I think she's drinking my blood. Yeah. Oh, man, that's weird. And this whole time, you know, people are saying, like, hey, cut out your drinking, man. Mm-hmm. So you... Yeah, he drinks constantly yeah. throughout the entire movie. Exactly. So he, he is a very um, unstable mm-hmm. kind of character. Like, how many scenes? Like, we transitioned a new scene with him just opening a new drink. Yeah. That's, like, the go-to cut in yes, this movie. that's true. And, um... So eventually he, he recognizes that he's like physically deteriorating like he feels like shit he feels like his body is failing him mm-hmm. and um so which to me sound i was like oh shit does he have like hiv or something is mm-hmm. that what this is going to be like sort of a 
Because, I, I mean, obviously, it's like with the name and stuff, it's alluding more to drugs, but yeah. people who use like um, intravenous drugs and stuff mm-hmm. are substantially high, have a hu- substantially higher chance yep. to contract HIV. Yeah. Especially when it comes to like through um, like unsafe needle sharing, this, mm-hmm. which is why we have safe consumption sites and needle exchange programs to do harm reduction and prevent the spread of what can, I mean, I know we can control it better now with the um, prep. Yeah, prep or prep yeah. is the pre-exposure, but they have the post-exposure prophylaxis and mm. the anti-retrovirals. I think they're called, but that also requires taking a consistent dose all the time. And if you're living in really, you know, if you're living on the street, you don't know where you're going to put rest your head that night. The chances of you keeping up with the medication protocol to be able to suppress the virus is less than that. So yeah, I, I was wondering. I was like. Oh shit! Is is like is he gonna? Mm-hmm. Is that what this is gonna be? Is not just sort of sort of metaphor for mm. for addiction itself, but also perhaps for like HIV. Yeah, again, it definitely it in the in the culture. I mean, it's, it is at mentioned at one point. Like, yeah, uh, like Nick oh, suggests he gets an AIDS test. Yeah, he's like, well, she's drinking your fucking blood. You better get a goddamn AIDS test, man. Mm-hmm. Like, but yeah, he he talks it up to like this woman has entered my life and she's fucked me up. She's a vampire and has like ruined everything and Mm -hmm. she becomes this sort of going from yeah this idolized like oh she's anna to this more like scapegoat and then when that happens she takes on the role of vampire more often like we see scenes of her like appearing at the window like Mm -hmm. salem's lot style she's got the fangs and stuff like fucking edward cullen twilight style i'm gonna i'm I'm gonna keep it as salem's lot by toby hooper yeah yeah as it should be anyway (laughs) um so yeah like it it sort of that chicken and the egg thing like is she the vampire that's doing this or is it like as his downfall happens and his like He's projecting this all disintegration that's what makes the vampirism more oblique to the viewer yeah, kind of thing exactly yeah i don't know so and yeah the, the very end is is he's like locking himself in this apartment having this sort of standoff with her where he's trying to like she's trying to get him mm-hmm. and he's trying to like stay alive fight her off mm-hmm and do what he can, and it ends with um, them going out, falling out of a window together yeah. to their deaths. And um, when we get shots of the body after, or the bo- I guess the, the the scene of the crime, or not the crime, the scene of the incident. Yeah, they come running up, and they're on the down ramp into the parking garage, yeah. and they're both splayed out, yeah, covered in blood. And- but then we get another shot after we've seen the friends who were trying to get to him really upset we get a shot back at the scene and it's there's just his body yeah and it's a very quick shot and it's done at such an angle to do a little bit of ambiguity but mm-hmm. you should see her yeah you would think it. and but it doesn't feel like a goof it no. does it doesn't play like ooh, they fucked that up kind of thing Definitely so it's not. one of those it things very where intentional. yeah i'm sure it was yeah so then you get wondering like oh shit was she even real yeah like and then the final shot after that is the same as the opening shot, which again goes to the Dracula thing, of the boat coming into the harbor right. kind of thing. Like, remember how we've got this boat again. His friend who went missing talks about, oh, I met this chick who's on a boat, mm-hmm. man. It's like crazy. And it's like implied that, some of his, like, dreams or whatever that Anna killed him. Are. Yeah. But then, uh, yeah, we get the dream where he goes on the boat and it's straight up Dracula style. Like, there's the coffin when it opens, like, the mm-hmm. vampire opens it from inside yes. with the big teeth and all that. That's right. Um, so there's... It's very deliberate in drawing those parallels to the whole like Dracula vampire yeah. mythology, and we get this great um, like when the when the when the dude friend is confronting him about like 
how he's feeling like shit and like you need to do something about your drinking you should go get tested you mm-hmm. need to like tell this anna girl to fuck off kind of thing like just like get your life together man mm-hmm. and uh he goes well she's a vampire and stuff and the dude's like she's not that deep <laughs> vampirism is all around us and it's sucking our life force like you know yeah. symbolically like television and mass marketing yeah. and all this stuff but he's like anna though she's not a fucking vampire she's not like, like that's great. She's not that deep. I love that. And that there like, were some great lines. There were, in this but that movie. one I know we both burst out laughing. So we're like, yeah. "Thank you, somebody finally said it." Yeah, that was great, <laughs> and I loved the self awareness in mm-hmm. that. Even though that, like, it was reflected against Larry's lack of awareness. Yes. Um, really funny. The other line I just want to point to is early on when he's smoking and someone makes a comment about it, and he's like, just don't like, do that. It's bad for you. And he's just like, "Oh yeah, I'm committing suicide on the installment plan." Oh yeah, that was. Beautiful. It might have even been Anna, like, when they were walking back, he was, like, lighting up, yeah. Yeah. So good. But, yeah, so this sense that he's just mesmerized by this mystery woman and everyone else is, like, she's terrible for you, bro. Like, Mm -hmm. she's just, she's just trouble. And then even when he's sort of uh, disavowing her and her presence in his life, he still has to mythologize her and elevate her to this, like, mythological creature to be able to make sense of, like the role that she's played in his life. And beyond that, you can even look at her as like a stand-in for the alcoholism in the movie where he's drinking constantly. He's always drunk around her. He meets her at a party when he's completely wasted. Yeah. And um, then when things turn and he starts not feeling interested in her is also when he makes the declaration he's going to stop drinking. Right. And so the attempt at recovery... Is when she becomes like she's like the withdrawal kind of thing. Yeah, and she's like, yeah, who is like clamoring at him yeah. with the claws, being like, relapse, relapse, relapse. Yeah, you yeah. Need me. And it's like you know, like the way that it plays out, it's like she's dragging him back into it, yes. kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. Even though she's not explicitly being like, drink, drink, she's mm-hmm. bringing him back into like a space of non-functioning and yeah. just like self-destruction. Yeah. I have to say, when her name was Anna in the beginning, it immediately made me think of the, like, whatever movie it was about, like, an eating disorder where the groundbreaking thing they did was that the eating disorder was represented as a character named Anna, as, like, an yeah. externalized person or whatever, and they were like, oh, this is so profound. So, yeah, when she came in, I was like, uh-oh, Anna, what's her deal? <laughs> oh, my God. I think it was specifically because it was that name that they picked. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, that kind of made me chuckle. And I guess kind of predicted the end where it's like, was she real? Where they act like, I mean, she was real in the sense that others encountered her and were like, hey, something's up with her. But was we, you have to wonder if when they, they were addressing this, were they specifically, you know, talking about something else? And that's just how he, rec- he understood yeah. it. And we're sort of seeing it through his perspective as like an unreliable narrator. For me, it seems more, more like it's, it's, it's less was she real in the context of the movie? Because the way she plays in the movie, it's very Absolutely. much as real. But, like, how does she function as the metaphor in the movie? Yes. Kind of thing. Yeah. Like, that's... like, she's very much a symbolic subject. Yeah. I guess. <laughs> For lack yeah. of a better word. Uh, you'd recommend this one? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Habit was good. We yeah, Wow. Great. I, I felt like we were batting five for five this week. Yeah, we had yeah. a pretty solid lineup. Yeah, so. That was nice. That's always nice. I mean, you know, I even get joy out of watching Stinkers, but... Mm-hmm. But it's nice when um, you go in not really knowing what to expect and get just yeah. good, as opposed to because you, yeah you I don't know when you go into watching Stinkers being like oh yeah I'm gonna watch this shitty movie and it's gonna yeah. be great versus when 
you're not in that sort oh of i mean like even when movies disappoint me uh, and they turn out stinky there's usually something i can enjoy out of fair them enough. get that silver lining but no that was great and uh so recommendations i know my recommendation is gonna be a movie that i totally fucking brain farted <laughs> and forgot to include in this episode but mm-hmm. we had so much by the time i remembered that it's like well yeah, I think we'd watched everything, too. Yeah, we can't talk about it. But this is a Guillermo del Toro's 1993 movie, Kronos. It's uh, very much that vampire old, like mythos in a really fucking weird, different kind of way. Um, it's been a long time since I've seen it, so I would really look forward to watching this one again. I'm sure we can find something to watch it for. Yeah. Watch it on Maybe we'll just do a Guillermo del Toro appreciation station sometime. I love it. Okay, um, I'm, I think I've recommended this before, but I, I am pulling a blank because I don't really know of any vampires, or at least nothing's coming to mind, so I am going to say True Blood, again, the TV mm-hmm. series, because while this does deal with, like, explicitly, like, yes, these are vampires, they are yep. vampire Americans. Yeah, they're more explicit that they're vampires yes, than anything we watched very, today, yeah, but... Exactly, they are explicitly vampires, that is what is intended, they're not symbolically vampires but the show uses vampirism as a metaphor for so many different things like in the first couple seasons it's it's civil rights i, I really connected it because it started in sort of like the late 2000s maybe right. like nine or ten i remember i was just finishing up high school and um so they really kind of connected it I, I made the connection at least when i saw it to the same-sex marriage right campaign that was going on that you know we're, we're different but equal but yeah. we're not treated that way under mm-hmm. the law and just that, compa- that campaigning for like being recognized as like deserving of basic civil rights mm-hmm. yeah but they also talk a shit ton about addiction and like the vampire's blood even is a- an addicting substance mm-hmm. so yeah there's a whole bunch of um like social issues that get talked mm-hmm. about by way of vampirism in that show right and so i think uh even though it's real vamps not vampires it's still um functions pretty well to talk about a whole bunch of different not vampire issues right that we can connect back to just us plain old humans yeah because uh vampire movies at least a lot of the the great ones do sort of use metaphor Mm -hmm. uh, just a lot but since this is a series and it goes they're able to just sort of like keep at it and like you said they cover so many different things Mm -hmm. so yeah no that's a i think we've mentioned before that sometime a rewatch will be in order. Absolutely. Maybe after we're through X-Files, though, and Millennium, because yes. we're working yeah. on that right yeah. now. We're going strong. Okay, well, uh, that'll about do it for us this week. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're liking what we're doing, give us a rating, maybe, on iTunes or Stitcher, if they do that. I don't know. I don't use Stitcher. <laughs> um, or um, tell your friends, you know, like... Uh, tell us, too, if you like, or if you don't like it, but we love hearing feedback. Yeah, we I like... I guess we love reading feedback. Yeah, yeah, yeah. On the internet. Um, but until next time, take it easy. And keep it sleazy. Oh, we, we DP'd that one. Nice. <laughs>